0: Welcome to New Africa, a podcast on life and politics on the African continent. My name is Kim Dion and I'm your host. First, I want to welcome all of our listeners back to the show. It's been on an unplanned break these last couple of weeks. I haven't been able to find a student here at Smith College to work as a research and production assistant, which means I'm trying to do everything solo. Thank you for your patience as I try to get back to our regular stream of shows. Given how long we've been away, there's a lot to cover. First, there are elections in Liberia next Tuesday. I encourage you all to read Rob Till Nijai Pali's pre-election analysis published earlier this week in The Monkey Cage. She provides much-needed historical context to these first elections held in the absence of UN peacekeepers since the end of the Civil War in 2003. And she talks about incumbent President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, the first female African president, who is going to have to step down as she's completing her second and constitutionally final term in office. There is a crowded field of 20 candidates vying for her seat, and there's no clear frontrunner in the pre-election polls. Pally says a runoff for the presidency is inevitable given the 50% plus one majority required for winning. In case you missed it, there was a brawl in the Ugandan parliament a couple of weeks ago Lawmakers threw chairs and wielded mic stands in a fight over whether the Constitution should be amended to remove the presidential age limit. The Ugandan Constitution currently bars anyone aged 75 years or older from running for the presidency. Current President Yoweri Museveni is 73 years old, meaning he would be ineligible to run for yet another term in 2021 were the Constitution not amended. In The Monkey Cage, I wrote a piece that used Afrobarometer survey data to show overwhelming support among Ugandans that the presidential age limit be maintained. I also draw from Museveni's own inauguration speech in 1986, and I quote, "...the main problem in Africa is of leaders who do not want to leave power." If only Museveni 2017 could listen to Museveni 1986. There's some interesting research that came out of Uganda late last month that shows how an inspiring movie can help students pass their math exams. David Evan of the World Bank wrote a blog post summarizing the study conducted by Emma Riley titled Increasing Students' Aspirations, The Impact of Queen of Kotwe on Students' Educational Attainment. In Riley's experiment, some students were shown Queen of Katwe, a film about Fiona Mutesa, a poor out-of-school Ugandan girl who learned to play chess and went on to have great success. Other students were shown the film Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, a fun adventure movie. In comparing the two groups, Riley found that 84% of those who watched Queen of Katwe later passed a math exam, compared to only 73% of those who watched Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. The results were even larger for girls. Finally, a couple of upcoming events our listeners might be interested in. This week marks the release of Alexis Okeowo's book, A Moonless Starless Sky, Ordinary Women and Men Fighting Extremism in Africa. Amazon claims that my copy is going to arrive today and I can't wait to read it. But for those of you who haven't gotten your copy yet, next Wednesday, October 11th, OkOO will speak about her book at New America in D.C. with Washington Post Global Opinions editor Karen Atia moderating. Last I checked, there are still seats available to hear the midday talk. And for those of you who, like me, are not in D.C. on Wednesday, there will be a live stream of the talk as well. For folks in the New York area, the ninth annual Congo in Harlem is being held later this month. Congo in Harlem is an annual series of films, panel discussions, performances, and special events focused on the history, politics, and culture of the Democratic Republic of Congo. I'm excited to be going this year to see the mockumentary N.G.O., Nothing Going On, which will feature a post-screening discussion with filmmaker Arnold Aganze, and reception with Congolese food and live music by Nkumu Katale and the Lifelong Project Band. There are still tickets available. Just go to www.kongoandharlem.org to see the full schedule and buy tickets. I'll post links to the things I've mentioned here as well as bonus links to other things I found interesting on Monday morning to our website, ufahamuafrica.com. This week, I speak with award-winning director and editor, Christiane Badgley. Christiane first worked in Ghana more than 25 years ago, and has continued working on projects in Africa and with prominent African directors since then. In recent years, Christiane has focused her attention on the extractive industries and controversial U.S. investments in West and Central Africa, writing and producing film and new media work for multiple broadcast and online outlets. In this week's episode, we talk about Guangzhou Dream Factory, Christian's latest documentary with producing partner Erica Marcus, which was made with funding from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you for agreeing to be a guest on Ufahamu Africa. I actually wanted to start with asking you about what motivates your work. How did you first become interested in
1: working in documentary film? Um, well, as an undergraduate student, I studied international economics and politics. Mm-hmm. And um, I initially started graduate school at LSE and I left that because I felt like I didn't want to get into um, international. Bureaucracy, international diplomacy, but I was very interested in international issues. And to me, documentary film, journalism, documentary film seemed like a good way to, um, you know, broach, approach, talk about certain issues that, that, that would be accessible to a general public. Right. And so your latest film, Guangzhou Dream Factory,
0: tells the stories of men and women from Cameroon, Kenya, Nigeria, and Uganda, all seeking prosperity in Guangzhou, a booming metropolis and centuries-old trading post in southern China. Now, before this film, much of your work over the last two decades was in Africa and with African directors. Can you
1: tell us what took you to China? Yes. Well, as you mentioned, um, I have worked quite a bit in Africa and with African directors. And of course, I've seen the increasing presence of Chinese in Africa, both uh, Chinese companies and Chinese business people and Chinese investment infrastructure projects. But one of the things I've also noticed is a number of Africans who are going to China to do business, Mm -hmm. and um, I thought it would be interesting to look at that side of the China-Africa story. When we started working on this film, there really hadn't been much done about the Africans in China side of the story. Most everything that we saw in terms of documentary films was looking at stories of Chinese in Africa. Right. So I teamed up with Erica Marcus, um, my co-producer on the project, and she has a long history of working in China. So the two of us um, together, you know, went to Guangzhou and, and did some research and decided that it would be a, a, an interesting film, an interesting topic for a film. Right. And how did you pick Guangzhou of all the cities in China? Well, it was pretty easy because um, it is the biggest city for African um, business people. I mean, there's another city in China that's called Yiwu, where there are also quite a few, uh, a a fair number of Africans, a lot of people from the Middle East. Mm -hmm. But Guangzhou is really the, you know, African capital, if you... If you like, of China. It's because it's this huge manufacturing hub, this area in southern China and the Pearl River Delta, um, it draws people from all over the world, and in particular, um, lots of Africans.
0: Now, we at Ufahamu Africa learned about Guangzhou Dream Factory in one of our earlier episodes while chatting with Lena Ben-Abdullah, who's a scholar of China-Africa relations, and I agree with her review of your film, In Africa as a Country, that its major strength is how it breaks with tradition, with Africans not as objects of the camera, but subjects who represent their own stories and experiences. Now, she also wrote in her review that your film raises very poignant and pressing questions, And I wondered, you know, from your perspective, what questions were you particularly keen to raise through this project?
1: Well, one of the things, of course, that we wanted to show... Um was the stories of these entrepreneurs um in africa i mean they're they're dynamic they're driven they're ambitious mm-hmm. um, it seemed to me to be the kind of African story that we don't often see here in the united states um and I really wanted to bring that sort of story to American audiences um I feel like the problem i mean you're you're really familiar with the media representations of Africa and Africans, but it's, it's just so problematic, and I felt like this was a great story to kind of counter a lot of the images that we see um, about Africa here in the West. Um, but, as much as I wanted to highlight the, the drive and the creativity of the film's main characters, I also questioned why they wanted or felt compelled to go to China in the first place, you know, I met so many people who had skills, drive, ambition. They, they had so much to offer, and it just seemed to me like these people could make such a difference back home, right. that their governments could definitely benefit from their skills, their knowledge, and their international experience. Um, and I just saw, you know, as much as I was impressed by what they were doing, I just in some ways felt that this was a missed opportunity, especially on the part of African governments, to really seize... Um, the expertise and the and the you know the energy of, the, of this population to do something back home right right and
0: you know it's interesting that that you bring this up too cuz i mean what i one of the things i really liked about the film was yeah. that it wasn't it wasn't only about struggle though there was certainly that for example there was the the story of the woman who had had a restaurant uh, and then had gone home uh, but then come back to China and had been swindled out of this restaurant, but managed to start over again and 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 be rather successful, right? Just, you know, again, not at the level of, of what she had before, right? She didn't have a restaurant this time around. She was carting around um, kind of, I don't know if you will, like a, a uh, a trolley of food, right, to sell to various uh, vendors, um, and and it's interesting to me that you know here's this woman who faces significant difficulty, and she's still being entrepreneurial about it, and she she may be starting from from less, uh, but she's still doing something about it, and 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 interestingly, she's doing it in China. She didn't go back home.
1: Well, no she she didn't and she uh, was happy to stay in China and she felt that China gave her opportunities that she didn't have in Nigeria in particular for her daughter and her daughter's education. Unfortunately, that woman favor um, prosper she was she was deported so mm-hmm. she's now back in Nigeria she's still being an entrepreneur she's still trying to you know, do business, but she just has, it's so much harder for her in Nigeria than it than it was in China. And um, again, to, to go back to what I was saying earlier, there's just certain things that the Chinese um, put in place to make business, you know, from uh, at all levels, whether it's from the factory all the way down, to just make, make business easier to do. And so people like, favor back in nigeria you know even though she wasn't doing that well in china she was able to take advantage of a system um, that she can't you know something she can't do in nigeria she's really struggling now back in nigeria and she'd love to go back to china but she can't
0: right now what would you say was the most surprising thing you learned when you were shooting for this film
1: (laughs) Well, for me, pretty much everything I saw in China was surprising because I had really no knowledge of China, and until I started working on the research for this film, I'd never been to China. So every day I learned something new. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe the thing that was the most surprising, though, for me was probably the disconnect that we sensed between the Chinese who worked with the Africans in Guangzhou, you know, the Mm -hmm. Chinese on the ground, Um, small manufacturing operations, various, uh, you know, all sorts of African, uh, excuse me, Chinese entrepreneurs, they really benefited from the African presence. And they they wanted the Africans there because the Africans were basically their business. Um, So there's this disconnect between that and then the official Chinese policy vis-a-vis immigrants and Africans in particular, which has become and is becoming ever more restrictive. So I guess that was uh, quite, uh, you know, that was really surprising. I mean, to see China, this country that is now grappling with immigration because Mm -hmm. it has become an economic powerhouse, but so far is not at all interested in embracing immigration, even if it is, you know, to its own detriment.
0: Right, right. Now, I, I'd like to ask you a question that was originally articulated by Vassar College political scientist Zachariah Mompili. Um, in our second half of this first season of Ufahamu Africa, we're asking our guest to answer a question that he raised in episode 24. Now, he asked six questions, but I'll just ask you one. And this is really kind of talking to those of us who are primarily in the West or from the West and working in or about uh, or studying Africa. And And the question he asks is, what are the intended and unintended political consequences of our
1: work? Hmm. (laughs) Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I am not sure that one documentary film, especially one that doesn't have a political agenda per se, can have any significant political consequences. Um, However, I'll say that I've been touched by comments that we've received from Chinese university students Mm -hmm. um, both in the United States and Europe who have told us that the film really opened their eyes, that they learned a lot about Africans in Guangzhou Mm -hmm. and about Guangzhou and Chinese immigration policy. Um, So, you know, these are some of the elite of China who are studying abroad and Perhaps one day some of these graduate students will return to China and and shape policy and have something to say about um, immigration in China.
0: Now, before we go, we normally ask our guests for a book recommendation, but I'd love to ask you if you have any film recommendations. Um, Is there anything you've seen recently or even an old film that you found interesting and would encourage our listeners to seek out? Um
1: yeah it's funny that you asked that question because there is a film and a book actually that I have been thinking about a lot lately and the film is called The Burma Boy and it's available for streaming, I think you can just watch it on Al Jazeera. Mm -hmm. And the book is called Another Man's War, The Story of a Burma Boy in Britain's Forgotten Army. And it's a book that you can purchase on Amazon. And um, both the film and the book are by Barnaby Phillips, who's a former BBC Africa correspondent. Yeah. Um, I read the book a few years ago, but I've been thinking about it a lot recently. The main character in the book is a Nigerian soldier who's fighting for Britain in Burma in World War II. Mm -hmm. He's um, shot down and rescued by a Rohingya family in what is today's Rakhine state. I think that's how you say the name of the state. Um, Anyway, it's a really powerful book about the African soldiers who did fight this other man's war. And, the devastating consequences in, in Asia and Africa of British colonialism that resonate, you know, even today. Um, reading this book, watching the film, you really get a sense of some of the problems that are happening right now in Myanmar and and, and how they were not totally caused by colonialism, but how the British... Definitely stoked the divisions that were existing, you know, for their own purposes in the war. And anyway, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I also recommend it just beyond, um, you know, what it brings to understanding what's going on in Myanmar today. It, it is this fascinating chapter of, of African history that doesn't get talked about a lot, and that's the role that these, the very, very important role that these soldiers played in both the British and the French um, armies in World War One and World War Two. Thank you very much for that. That sounds like a, a, a really fascinating way to
0: to incorporate history but also what's happening in the world right now and to think about it through um, through a lens through a connection that a lot of people wouldn't make between Africa and and the Rohingya. Thank you so much, Christiane. Have a great week. Thank you. You're welcome. Find us online and tell us what you're reading and learning about the continent. We're at ufahamuafrica.com or on Twitter at UfahamuAfrica. Africa. Ufahamu Africa is a production of Smith College, sponsored by the Government Department. Technical assistance is provided by the Center for Media Production. Music is courtesy of Kevin
2: McLeod. <laughs>
0: This week's song is China by iMore of the Malawian hip-hop group The Nameless. Thanks for listening. Until next week, Safiri Salama.
2: Ja China. Mpasha za kudya sondi za China Simu kuwana kuku menezi kukulira Masiku wawiri chema napi ndi jone nepa Uga maya na weso kuyamba gufufu Magugwela sigelo uli 70 kg ni kilograms. Eh, hey, gakale kachilumbo ganata mpamfu Siku ngo yetela Mae aravi agia sondi ya China Uga mwa imanga disagu yanja ukumalira Hana malira nso za China Kumango fwente la goma misonze osi. Ta tumuka Tani Masi wano wa uri Sinalikale guma lawe guli fudubu Datopa kuchebele latimu kube Sati mabule hata masi wano sumira China Kiju hey. Faira. karina hibi abu fessi, ni osara. basi banti maore na peza makina kadona koze sunga kudabwa sika kukaniza ukatero huma panga zongo kwa dita kuhiwa la kuti ya mtuno umangoziwana kukala wani wiki mayamba kuchaira banja la tabo masi wano sikuwa tenza china asinga ngaso watala tundi ya china mesa mitengo inata ndi kuduli dwa maeso ama nembu akungo onira ofo magoprinta wakiendi kuchaira chibale Kikichi makala po sika maenji habare wose hama kutawa Dasi wanapo chikondi ducha papawa Angakale mafurenze anga nsonzi China Ndiya China mm. Hakungo wele nyimbo sa kukani za huh? Masutipe ya peyantao ni kunamisa mm. Nimo za o za pong pong ni nende king Kong mm. Sesei emo dinakuntanembele yeah. Nameless ya bwela osa jebele Hitija ya bwela sonosenu chipele Makae yeah. emo indi master Kalamba za masi wanosu China Kukaka nina chinyamata hakukalamba Hati wakalamba wafuna hakutafuna Hakukondi jiani na nusongalo wa China Asibusa hakeso ndi China akose halilowa ndi China Ma MP halilowa ndi China Tigola tabo jiri yosimidi China